to stand on. The, the reading again is Psalms chapter 37, and I'm just going to read verse number 25. It says there, I have been young, and now I'm old, and I have yet to see the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Uh, if you don't mind, repeat after me. I have never been forsaken. One more time. I have never been forsaken. Almost like a chant. I have never been forsaken. A little louder. I have never been forsaken. Look to the person next to you and say, I have never been forsaken. It surely felt that way sometimes, but I have never been. Repeat it. Forsaken. Go ahead and have your seats. Go ahead and have your seats. Never forsaken. Never forsaken. This particular psalm, if I'm, if I'm being honest with us, church, is uh, no different from a lot of the psalms that we do find in Scripture. Uh, the psalms are a composite book. It is made up of all different types of genres. You have some songs in there. You have some prayers in there. You have some poetry within the confines of this work that makes up the totality of the psalm. But the psalm contrasts oftentimes the destiny of the wicked with the future of the righteous. The wicked, though he prospers today, will be cut off in the day of the Lord. But the righteous, the Psalms, the countless Psalms would afford us to know, the righteous will inherit the earth and will be vindicated by the Lord himself. Not only do the Psalms contrast the destiny of the wicked with the future of the righteous, but I also want us to appreciate that these many Psalms, these Psalms of David also contrast the conduct of the wicked versus the conduct of the righteous. The wicked oppress the poor. The wicked borrow with no intention to repay. The wicked plot against the just. However, the contrary is true of the righteous. The, the righteous, on the other hand, shows mercy. The righteous gives with a willing heart and gives freely. The righteous mouth speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of justice. If I had to sum up this particular psalm, that is Psalm chapter number 37, if I had to sum this psalm up, it would be, uh, that is to say that the psalm is simply intended to showcase that we need to be patiently or patiently waiting in faith on the Lord because the Lord, in fact, is faithful. So the psalmist here, noted as David, is very careful in some of the things that he, he writes here in Psalm chapter number 37. In verse number 3, he says, feed on his faithfulness. He would go on to say, trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse number 5 would say, commit your way to the Lord and trust in him. Verse number seven would say, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Verse number 23 would say, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. 
Verse 37, he would go on to say, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. Look at what he says in verse number 39 through 40. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in a time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. But probably the most striking and most familiar passage in all of this particular chapter is actually found in verse number 25 where, 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 where David steps in and, uh, and he takes into account uh, his experiences and his example. He says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. In all my life, David says, I've, I've been young and I've I've seen the faithfulness of God. I've, I've been middle-aged and I've seen the faithfulness of God. He says, but I've been young and now I'm old. In other words, as David looks back at his life, he says, there has never been a time as I looked at my life that I did not see the faithfulness of God. What's interesting about that church, as I, I really try to bring this one thought into view, what's interesting about this is though David makes such a strong declarative statement, I want us to see that David's faith and his conviction here in this verse did not mean that his life was void of trouble. I want us to appreciate this about David as you think about David's experiences. I, I want us to see that throughout David's life, his, his father overlooked him. We found that in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when the prophet comes and, and is inquiring of Jesse, show me your sons, bring your sons before me. He would bring every single boy, child except David and, and it's almost like David was an afterthought. Not only did his father overlook him, but his brothers even despised him. That's 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28 and 29. His wife, check this, his wife turned her back on him. There was a point in time when the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was, was able to be retrieved and it, it came back into Jerusalem, the, the city of the king. And David, when he was overtaken with emotion, when he was overwhelmed with the goodness of God, the scripture said that he stripped himself of his clothes and he began to dance in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. A sight that would have shocked many, but a sight that turned his wife's heart against him. Here is this man, and he begins to jump and prance. Here is this man, and he is, he is performing as, as she thought in the presence of everybody, not really realizing that there was something that went beyond the eyes of the people who were there. Sometimes when you recognize the goodness of God, you can't study the people who are there with you in the room. Sometimes when you think about how good God has been, in that moment only you and you alone know what God brought you through. Sometimes if we are honest and we think about how much God has brought us through and how much it takes to God to keep us in the sanity of our minds, we would recognize how good a God we serve and it will not matter what everybody else around thinks, we will scream to the top of our lungs, thank you God. Oh. 
So David strips himself. I know it was a shame for a man to bear his nakedness uh, in, in that day and age. David knows that, but David is in the presence of God. And even though there is a multitude around, he does not care about what the crowd thinks. Because were you there when I was laden in sin and, and God came in to, to deal with my sin? Were you there when I was thinking about taking my life and God spared my life and given me confidence? Were you there when I was deep down in depression and I didn't know where, when was up was down and left was right, but God gave me the strength to move on? Were you there? So David understands that this is God and I'm in the presence of God and nothing is going to keep me from praising my God. But you see, his wife is indicative of how many of us think, how many human beings think from time to time. You would hear people say, it don't take all of that to praise God. Well, here at this church, if, if you're comfortable always showing gratitude in silence, it's okay sometimes to show gratitude with noise. If you're always okay saying thank you in your mind, my mother told me and my grandmother told me that it's okay when somebody offers you something and somebody gives you a gift and somebody gives you grace and somebody gives you charis, it's okay to say thank you. I won't know if you are truly thankful unless you tell me, and not only tell me, but show me that you are thankful in the way that you handle the gift. So here comes God through his son Jesus Christ, recognizing that we were laden in sin, recognizing that we were lost and we were destined to go a place that was only designated and made for the devil and his angels. Here comes God sending his son to die for us so that you and I can have life and check this, have it more abundantly. I don't know about you, but when I think about who I was before Jesus Christ, it, it, it wasn't good. And even right now, I'm trying my best to walk the straight and the narrow path, Gianna. I know it's Gina, but you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm trying my best to walk the straight and narrow path. But every now and then, if I'm, if I'm honest with you guys, every now and then, even I as a preacher trip up. But I'm thankful for the grace and the goodness of God. There are times, and there were times, I should more, more importantly say, there were times that I felt like if God was not there, there were times when I lost my, 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 my dad. And let me even backtrack a little bit more. There were times growing up I was wondering if I wasn't truly loved by my mom because I didn't have uh, uh, the presence of my mother the way that other people had the presence of their mother. I didn't grow up in a, in a house with, with father and mother in the same roof, under the same roof. I didn't grow up in a, in a house with my siblings, all of us under the same roof. There were times growing up when I wondered to myself, was I truly loved by my parents? There was a time when I thought that I was forsaken and in the process of time, God decided to call my dad home and it was freak. It, was, it came out of nowhere and it threw me for a loop. I, I didn't really have a good relationship with my dad, but I was getting to a place in my, in my young days. I was getting to a place in my maturity where God was working on me. And just when my heart was ready to open up to, to, to start having and building a relationship with this man, God decides to take him out of the equation. So I would forever, from this point on, struggle in my mind with what could have been and what should have been. Never having the ability to, to actually say to him face to face, 
from, this, from that point onward, I will always have to simulate in my mind having a conversation with my dad and saying things to God like, God, you know my heart and I loved him and I forgave him and all this kind of stuff. But I will never have the opportunity to say face to face that, Dad, I love you. I forgive you. And sometimes when you don't have the opportunities to create closure, you, you feel helpless. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that before, but I need for us to understand and appreciate that sometimes we are in a position where there is nothing that you and I could do about what has already transpired. As much as things have happened in the past, there is nothing that we could do to really go back in the past and make things up. But God affords us to live in the present. It's what you do with the time that you have now that, that counts. So I lost my dad, and then a short while after, I lost the real man in my life, which was my grandfather. And that thing rocked me. Ronnie, I, I left the church. I, I left faith. I, I struggled in faith for a year. I, I, I literally didn't come to church. I didn't assemble with the saints for a year. And in that year, God was still working on my heart. I knew where I was supposed to be. But I was hurting and I was in pain. I felt like if God had forsaken me. Sherry and I got married and to this, date we've never, to this day we've never really had much to really talk about as far as any earthly thing. But God has blessed us continually but there were times when Five years into the marriage, we were trying to have a kid. And six years into the marriage, we were trying to have a kid. And I would sit and cry. She's here in this for the first time. I'm, I'm, I would sit and cry at night when she's asleep because I, know, I knew her heart. And I, I knew what she wanted. And I knew what she wanted for me. And, uh, and it would hurt me to the core. And I would question in my mind, God, why have you forsaken me? It's easy to think that when we are going through the throngs of life, it's easy to think that when we are in the midst of something, it's easy to be, to, to be lost in thought when we are going through the challenges and in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the distress, in the midst of the pain, it's easy to fall prey to the voice that says God is not there. But I need for us to appreciate this text because this text proves to us in no uncertain terms as David illuminates to his audience and he illuminates to us. He wants us to know through his life that listen, from the time I was born into the to the time that I will leave this earth, God has always been there. Times may be hard, that's life. Seasons may be hard, that's life. Friendships might be hard, that's life. Relationships might be hard, that's life. But in spite of how hard life gets, look to the person and say, God never leaves. So David said, I've been young, but now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Let me bring this star close. Let me bring this star close. The, the belief is that the only time in scripture we find truly the righteous forsaken is when Jesus is on the cross and he utters the words, my God, my God, why have you 
forsaken me. Theologians would have us to believe that it was in that moment when Jesus embodied sin, when he took on the sin of all of mankind, that in that brief moment, God was not with him, and so God would have forsaken him. But I want to I I suggest to us that that's a false ideology and a false thinking with regard to what's actually taken place in the text. Come with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Psalms chapter 22. Come with me, if you don't mind, to Psalms chapter number 22. Church, could you give me four minutes? Church, you got four minutes for this. Let me, let, hmm, let me, let me guess. You, you ain't coming for a minute, Tim? We're going to try to do this quickly. Come, come up on the stage. Come up on the stage. We're going to read Psalm 22. But I want us to see something. In Psalm 22, when David is making this statement, David is speaking, not necessarily, if you think about David's life, none of this of what you're going to read in Psalm 22 is actually indicative of David's own life. David is speaking in Psalm 22 what is considered to be prophetically. I'll even go one step further. Not only is David speaking in Psalm 22 prophetically, but he is speaking a, 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 a prophecy regarding the Messiah. So it's a messianic, say messianic, prophecy. He is speaking as one who has a voice talking in a time that is not his own. But then when you get to Jesus on the cross, Jesus utters the word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we're going to read in Psalm 22 is actually God, Jesus speaking through David back when David was alive, but Jesus showcasing it in the present, what he's doing on the cross. Watch this. In Psalm chapter 22, reading from verse number one, are you there with me? It says there, don't, it doesn't matter what translation you have, read it with me. My God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. I want you to see the beauty in this. Finish this statement for me. You guys have to help me finish this, wrap this up. Finish this statement for me. Sally sells seashells at what? All right, beautiful, beautiful. That sounds good, that sounds good. What about this? What about this? For God so loved the world that he... Come on, come on, preach it. That whosoever. All right, let me try this one more time. Tim, let's try this one more time. For God so loved the world that he. That whosoever believeth. Shall not. But. All right, good, 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 good. What about, what about this one? What about this one? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me think about it. In the beginning was the word and the. Was. With God and the word. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. What, what about this one? And the word became flesh and dwelt among. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the. Full of. And. All right, so what about this? What about this? I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm trying to make a point here. I'm almost done. All to Jesus.
All right, all right. Wrap, wrap it, wrap it. Let me give you a sign. Wrap it up. How about this one? Some glad morning. One more, one more. I should ask you to sing this one too. One more, one more. When peace Because we're familiar, at least to a great extent, with some level of the totality of the phrase, we're able to finish it. Jesus on the cross utters the words, My God, my God, why have thou, or why hath thou, I'm sure he didn't, read in, he didn't talk in the King James language, but why have you <laughs> forsaken me? We read that and we try to make association in some way with pain to say that Jesus must have felt like if God forsook him. For, to forsake in the Hebrew means to, to abandon. God doesn't abandon anybody. Amen? Amen. To, to forsake in Hebrew and uh, more so Hebrew because this is Hebrew that was translated into Greek later on. But to forsake in the Hebrew means that when you, when you need help the most... The person who should help left you. Does that sound to you like God? When you need help, God leaves you. So could you conclude in your mind that God ever forsakes anybody? Could you conclude that when Jesus was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That what he was saying was, God, you left me alone when I need you the most? No, 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 no. Just like these songs, just like Sally sells seashells at the seashore, just like all these poems that if I were to start, you would finish. This is what Jesus was doing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime but you did not hear look at what he goes on to say and in the night season and I'm not silent but you the psalmist would say are holy and thrown in the praises of Israel our fathers trusted in you they trusted and you delivered them they cried to you and you delivered them they trusted in you and they were not made ashamed so Jesus is on the cross and he starts the hymn 
You think that this was a statement of desperation, but rather, I want us to see that this was the beginning of praise. Don't miss it. We think that in our desperation, we need to sit and start a pity party. But because of the God that, that Jesus Christ served, and because of who he was, he recognized that even in the midst of my pain, I do still serve a good God. So he started the hymn, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the start, but that's not the totality of it. The totality of it says, when they trusted, they were delivered, and it's not going to be any different for me. I'm trusting so that I could have deliverance as well. Never forsaken. Would you stand with me, church? I need to be done. Would you stand with me? Let me say this. It doesn't matter what we go through. It might feel hard. It might be hard. It might be difficult. We might be tempted to say that God is not there, but truth would speak life into us to recognize that no matter what you and I go through, God is there. If you don't mind, just preach this with me one last time and we'll be done. Look to the person next to you and say, God, say it, God, God is always, always there. there. I want to start a chant. I want to start a chant. People, 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 do, people do these chants. My, my, my accent might be getting in the way, but I'll, I'll show you what I mean just now. People do these chants when they're protesting all the time, you know. You know what I'm talking about when people do protests? They have chants. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. And they have all these chants. I, I want to I do a chant, if that's all right. I feel, like, I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me we need to chant. Let me see if I can make this and make it good. We'll repeat this chant over and over. We'll start soft and we'll see if we'll be brave enough to blow the roof off. The chant is simply this. I am not forsaken. 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 A little hot. I am not forsaken. A little hot. Never have been, never will be. 